0: Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Connell. Danny Connell, back to throw versus a
1: he tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has got 10, 22 for Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right. What's going on? Welcome to Cannell and Bell. Hanging out here with Brady Quinn is in for Raja. Raj will be back next week. I promise. A lot of people were like, well, where? I thought he was going to back on Thursday. No, next week. Next he's week. A little extra load management. Uh, just a couple more days to rest, relax up. <laughs> that's he,
0: what, that's he, what we're calling it. Yeah. It's load management. He is getting old.
1: Yeah. Exactly. He is getting up there. So, uh, we got Brady in for that. So we're going to get to a bunch of NFL stuff. I want to get Brady's thoughts on the rule changes. Uh, we're going to do a lot of the NCAA tournament recap and, uh, we're going to have some fun. We'll have a good time today. Do you, um, are your kids going to be into gymnastics? Yes, probably. Because people don't know probably, your wife is probably very my, my wife was in the 2008 Olympics <laughs>
0: yep. um, for gymnastics, obviously, yep. and and she coaches now. So she used to take my oldest daughter with her, and I I think it it piqued her interest in it because of that. But at this
1: point in time, she's still probably too young to really know. I'm just giving you a warning because I did this thing the other day, and I think gymnastics might be up there. And it's not a knock on gymnastics. But some of the toughest youth sports to watch. Oh yeah, I had soccer in there, I, so I put track at the top of the list, swimming as second, and I had soccer. But I think I might throw in gymnastics in there. It's just the nature of some of these events. Like that, anytime you hear the term "meet," right? Like that means all day affair. And you're only actually performing for a very limited window of time. So you're sitting around so much. My daughter has a swim meet. It's like an hour and a half away. So we're going there and I am <laughs> dreading it because I know I'm going to have to drop her off at 7.30 a.m. Saturday. She will not get done probably till 8 p.m. at night. And I will be there like stuck, like reading books, going on the computer, like doing all this stuff. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a long weekend for me. I- I'm concerned about it. That's why we're trying to get her into golf. I, I feel like even though it's long, you and I have talked about yeah. this,
0: you know, you get to be with them. But also, you don't golf in, in crappy places. Like, right. You're going to golf. It's gonna be nice weather outside, or at least decent weather. It's not like you're gonna be in a frozen tundra. So yep. for that reason, we're trying to get her into golf.
1: Yep. We'll see. Do you, when you played, when you got injured, did you downplay your injuries, or did you play them up to get a little extra sympathy?
0: No, I was more of downplaying
1: them. I think I was too. We have a guy here on our show in Matthew Coca. Yeah. Uh, who is our producer, we've talked a lot about his injury because he's playing through the pain right now, but I'm starting to feel like he's milking it a little bit. for some Are you? Sympathy. Yeah, well, we I mean, saw him with the ice pack in the office. There like, was an
0: ice pack in the how office. How many that's people
1: actually weird. bring an ice pack into the office? Like, we get we get your hurt now, but that's like you can do that at your lunch break. Look, he's so mad right now. That's our wonderful producer there. You the ice pack? Is it still you know in your is? back? <laughs> it is. I'm it I'm is there. You guys he's today. refusing to I talk to the us now. Show. I was going to say not all heroes wear cakes. He's kind of our Ben Roethlisberger because he's a Hall of Fame producer, but he loves talking about his injuries and loves letting you hear about it. So that's our guy. But he's not selfish, and he's, he doesn't have 52 kids around him. He has grown men around him. All right, let's do some actual sports. Let's get this thing rolling. Florida State was in action last night. Uh, I hated this matchup. From uh, the perspective of, I don't watch a ton of college basketball throughout the season, but I obviously was cheering for Florida State. But one of the things I try to watch are the trends, where the public money is going, where the sharp money is going, and everybody was throwing money at Florida State, saying, "Man, this team is athletic. They're hot. They're on fire." Um, and that that the spread was just too tempting. It was a seven and a half point spread, and everybody's like, "Oh, Florida State's easily going to cover that." I didn't love that and that was one of the reasons I thought Gonzaga would win would win and cover. And that's exactly what happened. But I the thing I was bummed about from a Florida State, you know, alum perspective. Is that Florida State had two of their better players out. And then on top of that, they just they shot the ball awful. Like it was the worst time to have one of your worst shooting performances of the year. And then I found myself really not liking Gonzaga. They look like they have some punks just from a personal standpoint. Maybe that's because I was bothered because Florida State was getting waxed.
0: Well, and didn't Florida State knock them out last year? So this is a little bit of a revenge to this. I mean, it's not like both these teams have a bunch of one and done. So there's probably that element to it. I think they felt like they had something to prove. To be honest with you, though, as uh, my, my mother-in-law calls them, Gorgonzola, <laughs> uh, I, I do think they have something to prove. Like yep. They're a number one seed. This is a team that has been in the tournament now. They're they're a, a brand name, if you will, in college basketball, and they haven't been able to do it. I mean, I, I looked at them in my bracket this year, and I said, yeah, I'm probably going to pick them to get to the Final Four. I'm not going to pick them to win it. Yep. They might be the best team in the tournament, in my opinion, next to Duke. Maybe UNC falls in that category. I think those three teams are, are probably – they've separated himself this season coming into the tournament, in my mind. And I think uh, Gonzaga, I almost called him Uh, Gorgonzola. They've done nothing else to change that opinion now, but I do think they need to win one. Like, this is to the point now where, you know, we get it, you're not that small little school anymore, small little Jesuit school. Now it's time that you step up and you actually win a championship.
1: I kind of feel like, They're being overlooked and I think Carolina is to some extent too, North Carolina, because there's been so much attention played to Duke with, you know, Zion there and the Zion hype, which has all been great and it's been great for college basketball. But and Duke's the heavy favorite to win the tournament to win it all not heavy, but they are the the Vegas favorite to win the tournament. And I kind of feel like we're sleeping on North Carolina Gonzaga, some of these other ones. Virginia, I'm still a little bit skeptical of. Um, so that was the, that was the game that was ugly, but I wanted to leave with that because it was Florida State and I gave out Gonzaga minus seven and a half. So hopefully you want some money on that. But the game of the night was clearly Purdue versus Tennessee because. I didn't watch the first half because I was thinking, hey, Purdue's going to blow them out. They're, they're going to take them. I really? actually had money. You thought Purdue was going to blow them out? Well, no. I was, uh, so I was watching the Florida State game and the score bug was up there and it yeah, was like yeah. a 10, 15. Yeah. So like, so I'm like, oh, that game's done. Like I don't even have to flip back to that one. As soon as Florida State, uh, was finished, then I flipped over and started watching the Purdue Tennessee game, which was perfect because that's when it started getting good. And when I say getting good, it was insane. Of course it was the controversial finish, but the way those teams were trading threes back and forth late in the fourth quarter, it was one of the most entertaining basketball games period that I've seen in a long time. It was the best in the tournament by far. Yeah. Uh and now look a lot of controversy with the
0: way it finished. Um, I will go back and look at the play and and, and should it should have been a foul, should not have been a foul? We we were talking about this before the show. My my whole thing is if you're the defender and you're in that position where I get it, he's shooting a three, you have to contest it because that's for the win. But you also have to be cognizant of that if you make contact there's a strong likelihood they're going to call a foul. And I know it was ticky-tack. And they didn't feel like it was much. It, it's, it impacts. It's different than if you're driving to the hoop. And then obviously the, the finish of the game, a little bit controversial with them trying to inbound the well, that ball. That was just dumb. It wasn't
1: controversial. When, I mean, well, like, the, some,
0: some people who are part of this show. Yeah. Again, our boy
1: Debo is in there fighting for Rick Barnes apparently. Well,
0: no, I don't think Debo so much. Matt Coca, once again, our producer. <laughs> yeah. Who's fighting through an injury. He's the one that he actually liked the play. I, I didn't. I said if I was a player and I was in that position, I would rather have 1.7 seconds. You inbound the ball, let me take a dribble and then maybe a half court shot and it would be probably a cleaner look than having such a small amount of time and such a small like window for success in that
1: scenario. So I think they, I'm with you. I would have absolutely, I would, and the plus you can't advance it obviously in college basketball with a timeout. But you know what you can do to advance it that doesn't, you know, have time on the clock when you throw a half court pass. Like, right. like a la the Duke play with Christian Leightner when they beat Kentucky. They threw it all the way down to him. He had a time to do make a little move and flip it around. Now, obviously that was one of the all time epic plays in college basketball, and can you replicate that? Probably not. But I'd rather even catch the ball at half court, right. take a dribble, and get closer to where you're like a thirty five foot three pointer than what happened to them where they get the out of bounds play with point one and they have to like flip it backwards over their head. It just didn't seem like it made a lot of sense and Rick Barnes was getting crushed for it and I thought deservedly well, so
0: right and and I also think there's the chance that when you see a ticky-tack foul on the other end maybe there's a chance too that with yeah. that 1.7 you can draw a little extra contact because when you're a player in that scenario you have a little bit more time so so you can try to work yourself into the defender then, then take the shot and maybe they call a foul maybe not with what would have been 0.6 maybe, 0.7, 0.5, depending on how you look at when the clock should have stopped, when the officials recognize the timeout. You don't have any time. Your only thought is I have to get the shot off and you're hoping that you can get turned around quick enough to see the rim and take a shot to hit it. So, uh, th- that was the only thing I really didn't like down the stretch. It was an unbelievable finish to regulation. Unfortunately though, overtime just kind of got away from Tennessee.
1: It was insane. I thought, I, th- I thought it was a bad, Call the foul call, but I understand why he called it, like in a bang bang type situation. He went up there. It looked like there could have been even a little bit of contact on the hand, but it looked like the body. The way he like had to move, it looked like he bumped him a little bit. I totally understand a Tennessee a Tennessee fan that's ticked off today. That's like, hey, we got robbed. I totally understand it, but it comes down to one of those ones. And basketball is probably the hardest sport to say this. Like, if you're the better team, which Tennessee was, you right. don't let it come down to that. Now they had the lead, obviously, you know, but you close them out earlier. But it's, I totally get the Tennessee, you know, being ticked off about it. I have a new favorite player in the tournament, though. And it's not Carson Edwards is awesome to watch for right. two, but my man Ryan Klein yeah. was on fire from three. I mean, some of the shots he was hitting, like these step backs and like just catching it, not even really seeing it fading away, and hitting these threes from all over the place. It was incredible, and for him to do it on that stage was just like I thought that was a monster moment for him. I'd be
0: curious to see if they can keep that going though.
1: Right, you, you, you and I
0: know how this goes, especially anyone who's played basketball. You live by the shot, die by the shot, especially in this tournament. If you're going to rely on hot shooting or streaky shooting to get you through to win a championship, I I just don't think that works. I think you see that the the taller, more athletic teams – those that are able to figure out ways
1: of getting to the free throw line, getting rebounds, playing good defense. Yep. Those tend to be the teams that can survive through a bad shooting night. Totally. I think what you hit on right there, better defense too. I think defense always, you know, if you're off shooting the ball, defense yeah. translates because you can get the ball back. And that clearly, Florida State, one of the reasons people love them so much was they, cause they dominated John Morant and Murray State. They right. were on fire in that game. They followed it up, of course, going three from 20, uh, from the three point line <laughs> last night. So not exactly the way to follow it up. I always feel really awful. For teams that lose the way Tennessee does, the Saints in the NFC championship game, like when you get robbed like that, or you have a heartbreaking, you know, chance where you miss a last shot, I, do you have a, a loss of yours that like is still hard to get over? Oh,
0: this is, this perfectly ties into something that just changed, uh, in, in the NFL. So we just changed the replay rule. Yeah. Right. So now we're going to be able to look at, uh, via a challenge if it's outside of the last two minutes in each half. Uh, we'll be able to look at offensive and defensive pass interference. And then in the final two minutes, we're going to have a replay assistant now be able to look at and and see whether or not there is defensive pass interference or offensive pass interference on any of the five eligible uh, players in the field. 2009, we're in Detroit. Best game of my career. I think I threw like three touchdown passes in one quarter. Should have had a fifth. We had a running back drop a wheel route. Literally right in the breadbasket, drop through, settle for a field goal on that drive. But uh, it ends up being kind of a shootout uh, in this game. So Final seconds of the game, as you would expect, Detroit throws up a Hail Mary to Calvin Johnson. He gets called for, for pass interference, which, look, it was definitely pass interference, but you could always make that case on a Hail Mary on someone. There's a lot of grabbing and tugging, pushing and shoving going both ways. Well, now this becomes a reviewable play, right? right? And so it immediately brought me back to, this is, this is, this is a bad scenario for the NFL, because, you're probably going to see teams take a couple opportunities now at Hail Mary's because there's going to be some sort of pass interference called at some point if you're going to put this on this guy in a booth that no one can see out there in the field, this replay official. So it immediately took me back to that game because they called the pass interference. They got an untimed down from the one-yard line. They scored a touchdown on that next play and then instead of kicking the PAT, which this is back before they moved it back, yep. they're playing at home, they go for two, they get the two-point conversion, game over, we lose. Right. We we're up by a touchdown, we we're up by seven points. So it was one of those scarring things ever, but because of the new change, now allowing replay to be reviewed for defensive pass interference, offensive pass interference, it brought me right back to that moment I was
1: thinking, <laughs> other quarterbacks are going to have to go through this at some point. Right? Oh, totally, they're absolutely going to have to go for it. And that, the, the thing I was talking about, like Tennessee losing... I feel like the losses stick with you way more than the victories. Like I, yeah. I had a high school state basketball championship my sophomore year. We lost by one point. I didn't even take the last shot. It was a buddy of mine, but he got fouled on the way up. They didn't call it, but he still missed kind of an easy shot. And like it's still one. Like I get together with my buddies from high school 20 years later and we're like, Oh, I can't believe we lost that game. It's just the way it works. All that being said with the replay review, would you are you okay with it? Like, are you a, like, if you're in there voting, if you're on the competition, minute, would you have voted? Yes, let's do this or no. Let's keep it the same. I would have tweaked one thing. I would have allowed the coaches to be able to challenge at any point in
0: time in the game. I don't understand why they're then restricting their ability to do it in the final two minutes only because, um, if we're trying to, because, because if we want to put it on the officials to get it right, because that was what supposedly was the issue with last year in the NFC championship game, because they missed not only the pass interference, but also a personal foul, right? Why are we then leaving it on another official to then get it right? And I think how he's going to handle it, being able to in a hurry-up scenario at the end of the game, because right in the final two minutes, there's going to be a team coming back from it. How do you handle then trying to view all five eligible receivers and seeing whether or not there was defensive pass interference or offensive pass interference in that time frame where they're rushing up to the ball to, to get another play? Um It's either they're going to have to slow down the pace of play, they gonna have to buzz down, throw a flag, however however they're going to you know you go through the operations of it. Um, or they're not going to be able to catch everything. Right. And so that's why I feel like if you gave coaches the ability to challenge in the final two minutes, they're throwing the red flag, they're stopping the play, and now they have a chance to go review it, and especially if they have timeouts to that. So that's the only part of it I really didn't understand, I don't, and I don't know why they just didn't allow the coaches it to extend into those final two minutes too.
1: I don't like it. I probably would have voted against it, and here's why. Like that call was an egregiously bad missed call. Like right. they should have thrown the flag. They obviously didn't. Um, I don't think those happen that much. You know, like they and that was one where it did cost them a lot. I would have said if I was the NFL or if I was any of these people, like I would have said, you know what? Let's just wait a little. Let's wait one year. Let's just breathe because it's such the hot topic. It's yeah. such, I mean, in Atlanta at the Super Bowl, it dominated almost every interview. Yeah. Everybody was like, Oh my gosh, what should this do? It's dominated the offseason. I feel like it was such a reactionary move that if the NFL would have just let the regular season get here, take one season, to just let it breathe. People probably would have forgotten about it. Now, Saints fans obviously wouldn't have. Um, and then you wouldn't have had to make this drastic of a change. You know what I think would have worked too? Is if you would have had like the sky jugs like the AAF is using where you can buzz down if there isn't a grease. But here's the thing. I think the NFL has an ego. 100%. I think they would absolutely, they would, they do not want to take something that the AAF started and then say, hey, that looks good. Let us use it because they're the NFL. They don't want to take that.
0: I I was speaking to Dean Blandino about this, who was the former uh, VP of officiating. Uh, and, and he, he admitted just that. He said they will never hourly admit it, but even the fourth and 15, uh, proposal that John Elway made instead of the onside kick only because what like two teams I think recovered onside kicks last year and the way they've changed the alignment for kickoffs has made it really difficult for, for, you know, the team that's kicking to be able to then recover it. So he, he goes up with his fourth and 15 proposal and it's very similar to what the AF did with a fourth and 12, uh, for the same scenario. Yep. And of course they shoot it right down. So there is some element of ego, and I think also that we're the NFL and we don't do things the way everyone else does. We do them when we want to and, and for our reasons. Uh, I think we need to implement replay, though, in a way uh, that does enhance the game because we're getting to a point where other sports are doing it, they're doing it more successfully. I'm surprised that they didn't implement it for personal fouls and for player safety Yeah, because you could have made that call on that play in the NFC Championship game And it would have solved everything. Yep. Even though it would have been a missed, you know, pass interference,
1: it still would have been a personal foul, automatic first down. Saints would have most likely won in that case. But to the same point as AAF, do you know who used replay college football? Yeah. They look at, they don't want to take it from college football because they're in the NFL. It drives me nuts. They they
0: need to take a page out of the Major League Baseball though and say, we're going to do this just for the preseason. Yep. And then we'll talk about the next year. So for example, like instead of implementing it now, just say we're going to look at it for the, you know, five preseason games because of the Hall of Fame game and then Obviously, the four others for all the other teams. We're going to see how it goes, and then see how the operations are. Going to have it smooth. We'll look at putting in twenty twenty, but right now we don't want to make any permanent changes. Now it is only in for
1: a year. Yep, but, but it, it's, it's very rarely are they going to go change it back because the FA had twenty four votes against it. Now yeah. and they are thirty one to one. Thirty one to one. I couldn't believe there was more pushback than that. I, I find it hard to believe that not more than it was only the Bengals that they were the only team that said, "Hey, wait a second, maybe this isn't the best idea." I was just shocked that it was that you know. Uh, the majority of the teams that said, okay. I think why you saw that is because you did have a 32-0 to 0 vote by the
0: coaches. right? And the coaches obviously have the ear of uh their owners. And, and I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that the coaches were behind this. This is what they want. And they are trying to take steps at making the game better so this doesn't ever happen again. Because regardless of whether you're Sean Payton or anyone else, maybe except for Sean McVay, although Sean McVay should be thinking this, at some point, you have to be thinking, it's going to impact me. Yep. Like, we're, we're, there's going to be a missed call that we're upset about. We send them to the league, and then they're, they're frustrated with us. So um, I think they were all on board for it, and Because of that, they're probably more able to persuade the owners to feel that way too.
1: Uh, do you know you were wrong on your stats in that game versus the Detroit Lions? Ooh. You said you had three touchdowns. You had four See, I would have gone the other way. I would have said five, and then you would have corrected me and said no four. You had four touchdowns, 21 to 33 for 304 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. That's pretty strong. You were right on that one. Uh, so good stuff out didn't of
0: here. Didn't get much better than that in my career. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's awesome. CBS Wednesday. We have
0: so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a the personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.
1: All right, welcome back, Canelle Bell. Hanging out with Brady Quinn. I feel like I'm always with you. I'm like, I oh, man, I should have dressed a little bit nicer today. I definitely should have shaved off the Fu Manchu. I like it. You, you are, you're just saying that. You totally no, are because just you have the
0: whole look going on. Yeah, it's right definitely a look, but it's, it's not Halloween. I think it's cool to be because <laughs> <laughs>
1: it does I, look a little
0: clownish. Yeah, but like, okay, we live in South Florida. <laughs> yep. There's not really a whole lot of changing seasons. Exactly. But you can change the look up. So it's kind of like, like, it's like being able to walk in like, oh, Danny looks different than he's got a little Fu Manchu, <laughs> right? Looks it's definitely different. Like he could have been Sylvester Stallone and over the top. I talked about this yesterday. Right.
1: Yeah. I do. You go that you the flip, move and then the you got to go for the move, the over the top. Yeah. actually uh, work the Which hand. Which is 100% out. illegal, isn't it? <laughs> I, think, I think it is. Yeah. Cause it seems like you would totally just use all your weight. You asked me before the show if my wife liked it. No, she hates it. You asked me if my kids liked it and yeah. I wanted to save the answer for you because this morning I typically take my kids to school. Like I'll drop them off on the way to work. Today, I was like, do you guys want me to take you to school? And they were like, nope. They were like terrified. They did not want any of their wow. friends to see me with the Fu Manchu. So that's your answer right there. They hate it. So it'll be gone. It's just a one-day thing, kind of to mix things up. Uh All right, back to football because the NFL draft is just around the corner. We're getting closer and closer. A majority of the conversation, it's kind of it's funny how this works, Is and I think it's kind of laziness on a lot of part of... Networks, channels, you get kind of on this one conversation, but it has been the dom, this competition has dominated. What are the Arizona Cardinals going to do with the number one overall pick? Uh, Vegas has Kyler Murray as minus 850, which is essentially saying he is a lock to go number one. Now, of course, the Cardinals could train out of that. He could still go to number one. What do you think the Cardinals should do with their number one pick? I don't, I don't, it's hard to answer that question because
0: I don't know if there's a potential team that's looking at trading up to number one. To take Kyler Murray. Right. And if you think about the Arizona Cardinals, they've really got to keep their, their cards close to their vest because up until they are put in that situation where they're on the clock, they don't know what someone's ultimately going to trade, you know, for Kyler Murray for. Mm -hmm. They don't know what someone's going to trade for Josh Rosen for. Because I think the problem with if you draft Kyler Murray number one, you're now, your, your ability to trade Josh Rosen goes down as far as what you can get in return for the compensation. So they've got to be careful about how they go about doing this if they ultimately are targeting Kyler Murray because they've got to get a deal done for Rosen before then they, they, you know, show their cards and turn them all over. So my whole thing with Vegas is Vegas is Vegas. Um, do they have some inside intel? Maybe, but they've been wrong before. Okay. So I, I, I get there's a lot of uh, thought into why it would make sense. And I do think it makes sense. If you want to go all-in on Cliff Kingsbury and what he can potentially bring, then you draft Kyler Murray because he would be, probably be the best fit in his system. That doesn't mean Josh Rosen couldn't fit in his system. He, I mean, heck, Cliff Kingsbury was a pocket passer in an air raid. It's not like he can't construct an offense around Josh Rosen to make it work. Yep. Uh, I just think with where that roster is at on offense, Kyler Murray can probably make you a better team sooner because of his athleticism and his ability to create some things where Josh Rosen's a good athlete. Mm-hmm. He's probably actually a better athlete than what Dwayne Haskins is. Yep. If you talk about movement and sure. running and all that. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm still not sure it's enough to really allow him – uh, to be able to win right away. I think Kyler Murray can maybe get you a win or two more just because of that mobility.
1: I mean, Josh Rosen got killed last year, yeah. and their offensive line isn't going to just – I mean, it's not going to be one of the best offensive lines it, it, overnight. It'll it was be
0: decimated by injury. That was right. part of it. They'll, They'll be, be healthy.
1: better for whoever it is, but I totally agree with you. That's the one thing that Kyler Murray does bring to you. The other thing he gives to you, too, is he takes away – you know as an offensive coordinator, you're trying to call up plays that work, right? right. But they don't all work. Like Sometimes no. they're just covered. I think that's the one thing that makes some of these guys attractive that can run around – they can get you out of a bad play, right? And it's not—it's not a check. It's them scrambling around and making things happen. And I think Kyler Murray can do that, and that'll get you some wins on a bad team. Like that can help. Not—it's not, not going to make you a playoff team, but it'll prevent you from being two and fourteen.
0: Well, yeah, and he's got all the ability to throw the football down the field, whether it's vertically or right. even with, with timing and an anticipation. He's demonstrated all that. I think the point you bring up is is most interesting because if you talk to NFL coaches and you ask them. What's the most difficult position to develop right now in the NFL? They'll say it's offensive linemen. Yep. We don't hit as much. Uh, these guys coming in now come from playing in two-point stances in college football, and they're usually going backwards or laterally. They're not ever driving out and run blocking, and they're not ever in three-point stance. It takes longer to get those guys in. The, I was talking with a coach last night. And he said, you draft offensive linemen for the next year a la the New England Patriots. Yep, They have Trent Brown, plays great for you. They let him go in the free agency. Isaiah Wynn steps in now, their first-round pick from a year ago that we kind of forget about, part of because he's got a little bit injured, but still. So that's when you've got that big of a discrepancy with the ability to develop offensive linemen And then the ability to affix it when you don't have a great offensive line, you then have to have a more mobile quarterback. That's where this league is going right now because of the way the offseason rules has been. And I think also a product of what we're seeing at the high school and college systems with the type of offense is being run.
1: Are you in on Josh Rosen? Like if you were a team, would you be calling to trade for him? If I I was the Giants – and I could get him for a second round pick. Yes. So is that more of a value play because you think you can get a first rounder at a second round value or is that you think he could be the future of your franchise? It's, it's
0: both. I, I think he could be the future. I think he's smart. I think he, when you watch him and just is, is, first off, he's not scared. Right. That, that guy was thrown in as tight of windows as anyone last year as a rookie. Um, he's, he's young. He's mobile enough. He's mobile enough to be able to make it work. And I just think you put him in a system with Saquon Barkley to give him some help. Um, they've got Ingram, Ingram as well, a tight end and, and Sterling Shepard and they'll figure out someone else to come in and help out. I, I think he would be able to distribute the football well enough. And, and I, I do think he could potentially, you know, be a guy that's a future franchise quarterback. Like, I'm not giving up on him just based on how last year looked in
1: Arizona. I, the thing that makes me nervous about him has nothing to do with his football talent. It's all the intangibles, leadership styles. Like you said, he's smart. I think he's a smart Alec. We'll go with that. I think he has, <laughs> I think he's a little bit of a punk still. And I don't know if he grows out of that. But I think it's also I think it's pretty telling that the Arizona Cardinals are even considering this because they've had him for a year, right. and not Cliff, but you know the people there, kind of, the general manager, like they've seen him, they know what he's like every day, they know what his teammates feel about him, and if they're willing to move on from a first round pick for Kyler Murray, who's great, is good, but I don't, he's not like I don't think he's generational. I don't think it's like you're going for Andrew Luck or when the Broncos moved on from. Tim Tebow because it was Peyton Manning. Like, that made it a no-brainer decision. I don't think it's one of those no-brainers. I think it tells me something about Josh Rosen. And if not, like, I agree. Take last year and throw it out the window. I think he was the best, most natural thrower of the football of that class last year. But there was just something about him that I don't like, and it scares me. I don't know, though, that this pick is going to be Steve Kimes again. Part of me feels like it's
0: Michael Bidwell's. And, you know, if you're making a decision with Cliff and you're making a decision to draft the number one overall pick – the owner's probably getting involved. And and that's where I, I think it's a little bit different in this case, not devaluing Josh Rosa, but saying they're going in a different direction that maybe includes who they have a quarterback.
1: For sure. Uh Baker Mayfield has been – um was a guy who had an incredible rookie year last year. It was awesome. was off the charts. Now he's got more weapons to work with. Yeah. I loved it when they traded for Odell Beckham. I was sitting there saying, oh, Brown's in the Super Bowl. What I don't like – a lot of people love it, and that always makes me nervous. Like when everybody's in on this bandwagon, and they are the trendy pick right now, people are saying they're going to turn it around. There's al- there's always not always, but a lot of times you'll see a sophomore slump. You'll see guys who are incredible. Uh, Dak Prescott was you know, a perfect example. Rookie year, lights it up. Him and uh, Zeke go off, and then he kind of comes back to reality. I don't think that's the case with Baker Mayfield. I think he's a great thrower of the football. I think he's got the intangibles. I think his teammates love him. I don't. I don't, I don't think he plays a style where teams figure him out because he's not a scrambler. I think he can play from with him in the pocket. So I think his trend continues up. I think it can. It, it
0: should because of the talent he has
1: on yeah. this roster now.
0: It should. I mean, you put any quarterback on this team, they should be able to put up some numbers. Um, and there's, there's a few things working in, in, you know, besides the talent that he has on the roster, there's a few things working in his direction. Uh, Todd Mockett, who's their OC, <clears throat> forget about retaining Freddie Kitchens. Todd Mockett's one of the better offensive minds. You, you saw that historic streak that the Tampa Bay Bucks run with Ryan Fitzpatrick to start off with, uh, last season. Todd Mockett's calling the plays. So they're not going to be scared. This team's going to be attacking teams vertically down the field. Um, there's going to be continuity in the offense. So it's not like Baker's going to have to worry too much about the terminology. And you know how difficult that is. Yeah. My concern is this. The offensive line, for the reasons we just talked about, and he is good enough to move in the pocket to throw and athletic enough to do all that. But he needs some help on the offensive line. They ha- they have to be able to continue to build there so he has the protection. And it's not like the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals are going to lay down and give them that division. Um, I-, I think the hardest step to take in the NFL is being able to be that 7-8-1 team and then be able to win 10 games. You can go 10-6 and six and win the division. I've said that before. That's what it took for Baltimore to win it this year. I think it's it's, it's tough to do. Yeah. Like We were 10-6 and six my rookie year. We brought in Sean Rodgers on the D-line, Corey Williams... Um, all of a sudden we, we had all these pieces, you know, Dante Stallworth to go next to, uh, Braylon Edwards and Kel Winslow and everyone else. We had all these pieces and then it just, we had injuries. We had a lot of other stuff go on that didn't allow us to be able to replicate that. That's the tough part of the NFL. It's built for parity, and, and so we'll see how they handle that. And we'll see how they handle some adversity. Cause you and I both know this. Yep. They're going to hit some adversity. What happens if they start off two and four? Is Odell Beckham and Jarvis Lange going to be able to be, you know, get along? Is it going to be copacetic? Or are they going to all, are they going to all of a sudden, you know, show their true colors? These are guys who came from Miami and came from New York. Like, when life isn't good in Miami and New York, you have other avenues. When it's not as good in Cleveland, like, It's it's not very good. Right.
1: And last year, this was a darling. Everybody loved them. Cleveland Browns fan loved them because they shocked the world. They had this big turnaround, almost made the playoffs. This year, the expectation is you will make the playoffs. And so what if they're falling short of that? How does that work? I totally agree with you on that one. All right. All right, welcome back, Canel and Bell. Uh early start off the show, we talked about uh Florida State getting waxed by Gonzaga. We talked about the Purdue Tennessee game, which was probably one of the most entertaining games of the tournament. The other game that was thoroughly entertaining was Duke versus UCF this past Sunday, which was incredible finish. UCF was this close, two shots rimmed in and out. Should have won. Should have won. And they had our opportunity to win too. A couple, you know, controversial calls with the officials. Um that's the other thing too. With when we were talking about replay early in the show, even with replay, we still get stuff that people don't see the same page. You know, like in Duke's play, when they had the ball hit the basket and it was, did it hit the rim or did it not? I... Clearly thought it did not hit the rim. I, I thought it was pretty easy to see too, but but there were then there were some people that said no. I, I've talked to like friends of mine are like no, no, it definitely touched the graze the rim. I'm like no, it didn't. But that's the thing about replays. It would
0: have just changed it. the spin of the ball, which it didn't.
1: Right. And that's uh, again exactly. Which you know whatever. Which so makes
0: they, it this indis- not indisputable. And
1: that's right. That's and what that was the, what that's always do. their bailout too is the indisputable evidence though. But Duke in that game, a lot of people are saying. They're susceptible now. Maybe UCF, uh, showed a a game plan by, you know, kind of packing it in, let Duke shoot from the three point line where they're one of the, I think they are the worst three point shooting team in the tournament, one of the worst in the country. They're the worst one seed coming into it, I I believe ever. Yeah. As far as shooting the three pointer, but they're still, they still have three, you know, lottery picks for the NBA draft. They still have the most exciting explosive player in the country in Zion Williamson. And a lot of people might say RJ Barrett is better than Zion. I don't think they're going to get beat by Virginia Tech, even with familiarity the Virginia Tech's had against, uh, playing against them in the ACC. I just think, I almost feel like Duke, there were a couple things that kind of woke them up. It was the, you know, getting Zion, losing him, going three for three, getting yeah. him back. Um, but then it was also losing to Carolina the first time when, and, uh, it was the last game of the season, I think, when they lost the, uh, the regular season. Regular season. I thought like sometimes there can be good losses. I think it's a perfect time for coach K to come in and coach them hard and say hey you guys think you're good but you need to do this. I feel like this is not the matchup where they're doing it because I think they're going to be just simply a lot better than Virginia Tech. Uh, one big difference.
0: I mean big difference between what UCF presented and then what Virginia Tech will present there's no there's no taco fall right i mean look yeah. there's no 7 foot 6 dude who's going to guard the rim
1: he was fun to watch man he i was, had it was, a lot it was freakish like in, he was a
0: difference maker i yeah. mean it, it, to your point it really forced duke to play from the perimeter and so unless virginia tech packs it in which they can choose to do i i still think zion rj barrett cambridge i still think those guys would be attacking the rim in that scenario I just don't think Virginia Tech has the same type of personnel to be able to do what UCF did. And plus that game plan is already out there. You don't think Coach K went back and looked at what UCF did and said, these are the things that teams are going to say we can't, you know, handle or can't counter. We've got to continue to come up with a game plan for it. So I think they're going to be able to adjust as well.
1: Oh, it was crazy. Taco fall, like seeing him, how, how much he affected shots, even if he wasn't there, it's just you could tell. That Duke players, when they were driving or anywhere near the lane, like they were alternating their arc because they were like, hey, I got, and they, they do a lot of times, but even when he doesn't, it's like his presence would get in their head a little bit. That My bothered topic. me,
0: though, because the whole time, like any time, and I don't know how this was. I mean, I remember when you're young. And you know how you usually have a couple of those guys who, like, just up before everyone else? They're, they're, they've got your Fu Manchu in that seventh grade. That was not me. Grade. I was just tall. And you're sitting there. You're like, what do they, we do? I don't have anybody here. <laughs> right. And, and the first thing that our coach would always teach us is you just drive right at them every time. And yep. you try to get them fouled out as soon as possible. Uh Taco Fall had foul trouble a little bit in the first half. I was shocked that they didn't try to get him out sooner in that game. Because once he was out, it just seemed like it was an entirely different dimension for Duke in scoring. And then it opened everything up. And I think that's probably going to be similar to what we see versus Virginia Tech.
1: Are you in on Zion? Like, all in? I am all in. I think he's going to be the next torchbearer for the nba like i think he's going to be the next superstar the next lebron like i feel like it went you know from mj to kobe to lebron to maybe kevin durant and then it'll be Zion. like he's the next thing in the nba i think production wise scoring wise superstardom i think he is but some of our wonderful guys here on the sh- on the show totally disagree they're like ah he's not even gonna average 14 14 is where we've set his rookie uh points per game yeah i think he'll go over that easily and they're like nah he's gonna be okay he'll be a d- good d- pro I think he's going to be a star.
0: I think he's going to be a star because of what he has already done in college. I, I'm not all in on the production and what it will be at the next level yet. Like, Do I think he'll average 14 as his rookie year? Yeah, I do. Um, because I think the team, one that drafts him, is going to be pretty bad. And he's going to get plenty of opportunities, uh, at least from a scoring perspective. So I think he's going to be able to hit those numbers. But long-term, what he can develop into – He's gonna to have to continue to improve his perimeter shooting, bottom line. Um, you know, we talked about how bad they've been at three point shooting, uh, coming into the tournament and even, you know, a couple of instances in the tournament, but that's not gonna change from going to the NBA. It's only gonna get worse and teams are only gonna force him to do that more. So, uh, there are a lot of things I love about his game, his personality, how he handles interviews and just talking. He seems yeah. like a, a humble guy who, you know, look, he came back because he wants to win a national championship. Like That in itself, he, he could have, after the whole shoe exploded... Yep, could have sat out. He could, he could have sat out. He yep. could have just said, I don't want to do this. And he decided to come back because he wants to try to win a national championship, be with his teammates. And there's something to be said about that.
1: You know what drives me nuts when I'm watching a lot of these press conferences with Zion is the media, and most of them have an agenda that they want to pay the players, they're exploited, right. all this. They keep just floating the bait out there. They're asking him, begging him to say something like, yeah, I, I'm getting hosed or I should be making money. Every single time he's gone back to, I just want to play ball with my teammates. I came to Duke to win a championship. I'll get paid when I want. Like, he has not taken any shot at the system, and I commend him for that.
0: I don't know if we talked about this or not, but one of the things that I thought was interesting with the NBA talking about getting rid of the one and done. Yep. um, If you look at the NFL draft now, it's a legitimate must-see TV. It's on broadcast networks now. And one of the reasons is these players coming from college – They become household names. They're part of big brands that they're attached to with these huge fan bases and then they end up watching their journey going to the NFL. If you would have had Zion Williamson, excuse me, Zion Williamson coming out of uh, high school, he wouldn't have had the same following. Now granted, there's a a social media platform out there that everyone's going to see him on the highlights and the dunks and all that. But now he's got the brand of Duke behind him. And I think that sells better for the NBA and, and the draft when it comes out to it. Like, I don't think, I think getting rid of the one and done, it's more for the players than it is for the actual NBA, which is why I'm surprised that Silver would even think about doing that. Because now, I, I want to see where Zion goes. Yeah. Like, I can't wait to see which team's going to have the chance to take him. I want to see where RJ Barrett goes. I want to see where John Moran goes. Like, I want to see where all these guys go. If if they had just left from high school, we would have never had the opportunity to really get to see them, especially in March Madness, especially in this moment.
1: There's no question that Zion, had he been able to be a one-and-done, he would have been a millionaire, right? He would have gotten a shoe deal. He would have been drafted. Probably not uh, as big of high. a shoe deal, though. Well, that's the thing. I think he's probably increased his potential earnings by ten times just from playing For, at Duke. Can we be
0: honest, too? The shoe blowing up probably actually was good for him. Oh, for sure, it's leverage yeah, now.
1: Yeah, Nike can't let him go now, so they're going to back up the Adidas yeah, like, is going to be pitching that to him the whole time. Like twenty or thirty million, I bet he gets a hundred million from Nike now. Because we'll have to see how that goes. Um, Let's move over to the NFL because the NFL has seen potentially a shift in power going more to the players potentially, and I think it's interesting because I've always believed. You tell me if you think you agree with this. I think NFL players are jealous of NBA players and Major League Baseball players guaranteed contracts more money. When you look at the NBA, they're more they're bigger stars, they have more name recognition, more cachet. And so I feel like players have always wanted to try to have that type of influence. And I think Antonio Brown did change the game somewhat, but where I could because he did was able to force his way out of a situation where he wasn't happy. But I think what ha- needs to happen is players need to be really really careful because he's a top 3 wide receiver in the league. And it just so happened to work out where he was sent somewhere nice that he, you know, he wanted to go to the Raiders. Cause I feel like he was this close to going to Buffalo and then he would have been sitting in the same contract and another team that he wouldn't, ha- you know, didn't want to be on. And it could have gone south really quickly. So I think there is a shift in mindset of players being more open to, Hey, I'm going to hold out. I'm going to sit out a season, but I think they need to be really careful doing it. I think they need to be smarter about how they,
0: how they construct their contracts. Yes. You know, for some of these agents, you know, they pitch you on the total value of the contract. Yep. That is not the commitment that these teams are making to these players. Just look at what's guaranteed at signing. What's guaranteed at signing, and then they'll have some injury guarantees as well that extend, that, that create your total guarantees. That's the commitment that the team actually has. So, you're right, in order for them to want to be like the NBA players or Major League Baseball players, it's gonna take a while. I mean, let, let's be honest. The salary cap has to go up. Everything has to go up. Uh, it's gonna be a while before they can get there. They're gonna to have to sign shorter deals that are gonna be fully guaranteed, like what Kirk Cousins did. Even you though he got I
1: didn't. Want, I'm glad you brought it up, cause I didn't, my, my affinity for Kirk Cousins is often mocked on this show. He did it perfectly. He did. Because he made a lot of money with the franchise tags back to back, and then what, he 50 broke million? the bank. Yeah, and then he broke the bank with the eighty-four million dollar deal. And guess what? It's only a three-year deal. Right. So, and if, he's and you, you can say whatever you want about how it was dude, in this if he race plays, situation. if he, well, first so off, he continues to, he's a top ten passer every single year yeah. of his career. If he just continues the pace, maybe it's not the Vikings. There will be another someone team else will pay him, and in the end. He's going to get just as much as he would of one of these phony deals that would have said 120 or whatever it is. The guaranteed amount probably would have been less than the 84. It probably been after, 75, you know? After this next season, if he puts up the same stats, which he
0: was like, what, 30 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, yes. 4,000 yards. Yeah. Someone's gonna want that. Uh, they're gonna start negotiating again for an extension. And if not, you know, they can let him go play out his final year. He's still making bank and they can franchise tag if they want to go that route with him. He'll right. gladly accept that. Right. Or
1: he can go into free agency. And, uh, and by the way, that 84 million, fully guaranteed. Fully like guaranteed. that's And so that's the, that's the misperception about NFL contracts is there's nothing, there's no pro, nothing prohibits you from doing right. it. You have to have the leverage to do it and a team that'll do it. I actually think it's the, now again, maybe you leave some longer term money on the, on the table, but you're probably going to be set for life, uh, financially. And in most cases, there aren't that many significant injuries. Anymore, knock on wood, like Alex Smith, like that's a tragic, but for the most part, if you have an ACL, you'll be back. You can get back. Like you're not going to lose that much. You know what I mean?
0: And as it relates to Antonio Brown, though, right, you have to have thick skin. Because what he did, not a lot of guys can handle. So forget about him being a top three wide receiver. You also have to be able to handle the fact that people on social media and everyone else out there in the media, they're probably going to be saying to you, like, this guy looks crazy. He looks unhinged. Who wants that on their team? You have to endure that for a little bit before you then go get traded, sign a new deal, and now you come into that press conference clean-shaven, looking good, (laughs) ready for your next opportunity. Yep, no doubt about it.
1: Alright, welcome back to Canelo Bell, finishing up on a Friday. Uh, the New England Patriots, they've had to deal with a lot recently. So they, they're used to losing a lot of coaches, right? Yeah. I mean, they, Brian Flores leaves, you know, they, they're always coaches from the, you know, the Patriots, that are always gonna leave. Uh, Gronk retires. I think, mean, I don't think that caught him that by surprise. Though. I mean, last year he was speculated that he might retire. But this latest news, I think it's a little bit concerning. Uh, Greg Schiano, who was hired to be their defensive coordinator, just out of nowhere, it was kind of a bombshell for the NFL, stepped down, and he cited a uh, need to spend more time on my faith and family. Um, he actually had never been – the hire it had never been officially announced by the club, which is just the Patriot way. They don't do it. Um it's, it's a surprise, but I guess when you think that Belichick is probably the defensive coordinator anyway, it doesn't have that much of an impact. But I do feel like the Patriots are – probably this is probably one of the hardest harshest off seasons they've had as far as dealing with things that actually matter not rifts between a trainer and Brady but like meaningful personnel moves that are gone now yeah
0: i mean i look at it this way so for Greg Shianu, i think the hard thing is is you know what opportunities the rest cuz he's still relatively young you know what opportunities is he going to have for the rest of his career in regards to coaching i mean this is a guy who had a ton of success with Rutgers put them on the map um, didn't so much with the Tampa Bay Bucks and then kind of fell out of favor. And then there was the whole, you know, did he get the Tennessee, you know, head coaching job before that got tanked? Um, and, and so this was an opportunity where you thought, okay, he's going to go to the NFL. Maybe at some point then he'll be cycled back around. He'll have a chance, but, um, to not, whatever's going on in his life, that's obviously most important to him, but you just wonder long term for his career, what this is going to end up meaning. Uh, and you also wonder if there's something else out there and, and you hate to speculate, but, you know the whole Zach Smith saga at Ohio State. That all of a sudden is going to be coming, you know, more public or back into the public side because he's starting bringing out a podcast. You wonder if that's a part of it. But for the Patriots, you know, because it, it, and it's not necessarily Bill Belichick calls the defense, but he definitely knows what he wants, and so that's why it's not as concerning. I, I think he has as good of a feel for what they want to do, what personnel they're looking for, how they're evaluating that personnel as anyone. So um, it's not easy. You can just pl- take a guy out. Plug them back in and we're going to see that result. I think we saw, uh, with the transition coordinators over the years, sometimes at least defensively speaking, there's a little bit of a lapse or a slow period where it takes them about half a season to figure out what they're good at. And then they start rolling in the second half of the season. That's usually how the New England Patriots, uh, end, end up going about, you know, playing defense from the transition from, you know, whoever before Patricia, you know, to Brian Flores, now Brian Flores to the next guy. It's usually what we see.
1: I don't think it'll be that much of a loss for them. I think it's probably I think Gronk hurting is a huge loss production wise from what he means to that team. Even if he wasn't that healthy, just the threat of him game planning defensive schemes, you know, like the way they do that. I think this one's probably pretty minimal. They haven't done that much. They don't even have their rookies in, you know, in place right. yet. I mean, they're probably just starting mini camps. So they're not they're not I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, but I do the, think it's be interesting. The
0: last thing that I that I do believe though, the culmination of Brady being 42 Gronk being retired, if he stays retired, you know, losing a guy like Trey Flowers, not, you know, having you settled in on who your defensive coordinator is, um, you know, those are issues that they've dealt with in the past, but hasn't impacted them quite as much. The difference to me is this. Now, look, the Jets have their franchise quarterback, Sam Darnold. Yes, a new coach. But I think they're going to be a little bit better. Yeah, the Bills. I think they're going to be a little bit better. They have their franchise quarterback in Josh Allen. They're trying to improve that roster. You know, the Dolphins are in a state of flux. They probably have the worst roster right now in the NFL, um, and so they're in a transition. But that's the other thing is like maybe the Bills and Jets will be a little bit more competitive. But either way, uh, I think I think if we're looking at the NFL as a whole, the AFC East, the Patriots still have it easier than anyone else in winning that division again this year.
1: Uh, when you were a kid, did you ever break dance? No. I was not a good enough dancer to be. Really? You never tried alone in your room to kind of work a move or two? I don't know about alone in my room. I'm sure (laughs) at some point I looked and was like, what was that? I remember I had to bring something to the eighth grade dance. So I did yeah. a little robot when you go. Mm, mm, mm. Is that considered breakdancing? Yeah, that was actually the, pretty that's good. That's the way. origination. That was and, actually and pretty good. And our producer who's dealing with uh, injuries right now didn't even get it on tape with the shot right there because it was actually really good. It kind of pop and lock right there. Janita knows what I'm talking about. Um, but they're actually <laughs> breakdancing is actually could potentially be an Olympic sport in 2024. I mean, where, what are we doing here? What are the Olympics anymore? I, I don't know because that you're getting away from sports that actually are. And like, you know, it was one thing when you try to get, you know, skateboarding and snowboarding and some of the winter games in there, which I get those are becoming more mainstream, but breakdancing, like this is what we're doing right now. I, I, I would think, and I don't even know how long the Olympics have been around, right? Long time though.
0: I would imagine that past Olympians, like you go back 100, right. they would be shocked to see. They'd be like, what is this? Right. Why, why are it's they having amazing. a party? Why are they giving because
1: it a Because being an Olympian, your wife knows really well, yeah. is something that's probably the most, uh, it's like the one of the coolest accomplishments. Oh, without a doubt. There's like a prestige about it. And if they open it up to this, it does make it look a little bit corny. During the Winter Olympics every year, I get frustrated because I'm like, man, I should try to do a Winter Olympic sport. I've yeah. I said it one time that I thought I could be an Olympic curler. And I actually, there was a guy listening, the radio show I was on, that was an Olympic curl, and he got really offended. He was like, oh, you guys are just downplaying this. It's harder than you think, right? Yeah, he was like, oh, it's harder than you think. Jared Allen, from the former NFL star, is actually training to try to be an Olympian in curling, and I have never been a bigger fan of Jared Allen than I am now, (laughs) because I wanna find, I wanna, I'm gonna, the dude wrote an article, like, to the curling association, complaining that it was diminishing their accomplishments in the sport, I wanted, I so badly want Jared Allen to go to the Olympics as a curler. So I so was, I, can I was respond to that.
0: I was following this. They got close. I don't think they quite like qualified. They I didn't think there make was, it. there's there other groups who're like much, much better. Time. <laughs> I think they do. I think they do. But he uh that's the one sport and then bobsled. That's the other one where they kind of like Right. I awesome had a buddy it. of
1: mine that actually really seriously was trying to recruit me to go do it with him. And he's like a trainer, he's hey. the guy that was training with me. And he was like, you know, he was like we could do this. We could do this. And now we got
0: now we got break dancing. Let's go. <laughs> we
1: could do either one. It's going to take you Already years. saw my pop and lock. Move. All right, have a good weekend. That's pretty good. <laughs>